From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we're looking back through technology history to better understand the trends we see today. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Quinn Nelson. Well, hello, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a wonderful Tuesday, which is not the day of the week that our lovely listeners will be hearing this on. Well, it, it could be, I guess. Tuesday happens once a week. That That's true. <laughs> One out of seven shot, I guess. That's that's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, what are we talking about today? We've got something special? Yeah, we have a really weird product slash non-product to talk about. Mostly non-product. Mostly that side of the slash. Yeah. We're going to start back in 2008. Put yourself in that mindset. I know you were a child in 2008, but many of us were old. Legally, yes. I had the maturity of a of a mid twenty. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I was uh, I was sixteen. <laughs> yeah, super cool in high school, I'm sure, just like me. <laughs> yes, yes. So 2008, the iPhone is only a year old. The App Store's basically brand new. Right. Uh, the T-Mobile G1 and Android were new. BlackBerry still accounted for some forty percent of the smartphone market in the U.S. <laughs> Many people were using Palm devices, and of course, just about everyone had an iPod. Yeah, different. a little bit of a different landscape than nowadays, huh? Yes, very. So th- the smartphone market, as we kind of established, was young, uh, but tablet computing had been around for some time. Now, now, maybe not like in the way that we envision tablet computing today. It was mostly through various efforts put forth uh, through by Microsoft and a couple of different OEMs. But the the tablet that when people think tablet today, iPad iPad didn't exist, and it was still a couple of years away from being announced. Um, But the idea of a smartphone, ironically, people would call it an iPhone-like tablet, was something that a lot of people seemed to think was on the horizon or, or was something that was wanted, something to free them from the bounds of Windows and give them a, a computing experience in a small form factor without a fully-fledged operating system on one of these kind of tablet netbook-style devices, which were frankly underpowered, didn't run Windows very well, and were just bad. All hell tablet PC is what we're saying, right? No, not that. <laughs> the opposite of that. Right. This is where we get to our main character today, TechCrunch founder Michael Arrington. Look, he's controversial at best. There's lots of very serious allegations about him. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's unavoidable in this topic. So we're kind of going to move forward with basically all of that said about him and then just talk about this product. Uh, but. He sucks. He, he does suck. Even without the allegations, he still sucks. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so so TechCrunch is not really a, a tech website that at least I think of very often anymore. But back in 2008, it was kind of king. This was before The Verge, and, uh, and Gadget was still kind of in its early bloggy days. TechCrunch was the real kind of tech website for a lot of tech news. And so it was, it was very well-respected and well-read. And Arrington, um, despite being kind of a controversial owner, was one that um, seemed at least to have a lot of charisma and a lot of people really enjoyed following his work. And he was he kind of went beyond the, 
I own a tech blog kind of guy and kind of got into the whole venture capital. I'm going to make a thing. I'm going to change the world. And he still, you know, he still kind of does that nowadays. But basically what happened was he said, hey, you know what? We're going to make a low-end, low-cost tablet based on Linux that's basically built to browse the web. Um, He posts this article on TechCrunch and says that there's going to be a light tablet that is designed to make uh, basically just web pages render on a screen with maybe some other features uh, should they decide to build them in. He writes, here's the basic idea. The machine is as thin as possible, runs off low-end hardware, and has a single button for powering it on and off. Headphone jacks, a built-in camera for video, low-end speakers, and a microphone. It will have Wi-Fi, maybe one USB port, a built-in battery, half a gigabyte of RAM, and a four gigabyte solid-state hard drive. Man, that terminology's changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Data input is primarily through an iPhone-like touchscreen keyboard. It runs Linux and Firefox. It would be great to have it be built on an entirely open-source hardware, but including Skype for VoIP and video calls may be a nice touch, too. Uh, this... So... <laughs> Look, I wasn't, I don't know that I really read this initial article. I did start following the Crunchpad as it so became known uh, a few months later. But this is weird because it's just like a random tech website, a good one. But the owner's like, hey, we're going to make a tablet yeah. and it's going to do these things, maybe these other things. That'd be cool, right? And it's just like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like today, like Neelai Patel, who's editor chief of The Verge, is like, hey, we're going to make a smartphone. We'll call it The Verge Phone. It's like it's very out of left field, and it, not even like with a game plan. It'd be like it'd be cool if it could do this. You're like, no, that's not. <laughs> it's very ambiguous at this point, and as we move forward, it doesn't really get clarified <laughs> all that much. But we'll get to that <laughs> in later years or under different leadership. Definitely, like maybe not today, because today I don't. We'll get to this. But today's landscape doesn't allow for projects like this, really. But yeah. it could have ended up as a Kickstarter project, right? Like in some scenarios. Oh, for sure. Uh, But instead, TechCrunch was going to assemble a small team of people to work on it. Uh, Arrington set up a project website where people could comment and engage. The goal was, again, the whole thing to be open source and would have a target cost of just $200 to consumers. Hey, you know what? That's a a pretty low price. (laughs) It is. Seems like a very lofty goal. You know, this wasn't all lost on Arrington. I think he kind of had an axe to grind and, and something to prove. And and surprisingly, maybe, uh, just see, six weeks after their kind of initial blog post that, hey, we're going to make this thing, he posted an update sharing what they called Prototype A. He writes, Prototype A has been built. It's in a temporary aluminum case that a local sheet metal shop put together for us that's at least twice as thick as it needs to be, but the hardware has been defined and is nearing lockdown. We booted the machine in the case for the first time today, access the Wi-Fi network, and we're able to navigate a web page via the touchscreen. <laughs> I love the photo shared with the Prototype A blog post. It is <laughs> boards and wires running everywhere, like a soldering iron and a can or two of empty Red Bulls. It's just exactly what you think it is. <laughs> it's like the engineer's, uh, yeah, the most stereotypical like mm-hmm. hardware engineer desk. After this update, things were quiet for a while until January 09, when Prototype B surfaced. Uh, at this mm. point, the name kind of Crunchpad had been attached to the project. I don't think that was ever going to be the official 
like shipping name necessarily, but people needed something to call it. So Crunchpad it is. At this, this point, this is interesting, by the way. Sorry oh, yeah? to interject. Because do you remember how people perceived the name iPad when it first launched? Uh, yeah, it got made fun of by oh, people were immature people arms. on Twitter. Oh, they were up in arms for months. Like, oh, why didn't they call it something premium like iSlate or or whatever iTablet? And you think Crunchpad is that's half the name, and that's been kind of attached to to the project at least a couple weeks before the launch of the iPad. I guess by then maybe they knew it was going to be called the iPad. But anyway, oh wait, no, that was two thousand nine. That's yeah. a whole year in we're advance. A year a year before the iPad. That's a year before the iPad. Maybe so why were uh, they making fun of iPad? I don't know. Because <laughs> everyone had forgotten about the crunch pad by the time no, January 2010 rolled around. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so at this point, Ericsson had some help. The device team was being led by Louis Moner, who had spent time at Alta Vista, actually founded Alta Vista, and then mm-hmm. had stints at eBay and Google and others. Now listen to some of these specs, okay, of prototype okay. B. I want to bounce right. these off of you. Yeah. It's a 4x3 12-inch touchscreen running at 1024 by 768 oh, That sounds pretty good. <laughs> Ran on a Via Nano processor, which was x86-64 compatible. It showed up in some weird netbooks, but it was competition to the basically ubiquitous Intel Atom CPUs that were just crawling the earth in netbooks at this time. A gigabyte of memory, four gigabytes of flash storage, uh, Wi-Fi, it had an accelerometer for screen rotation, so you can move from portrait to landscape. Oh, handy. A camera and what the website called a, quote, four-cell battery. I don't know what four-cell battery means. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, okay, these specs are comical by today's standards, but given the time, it seems like it was respectable, especially at its kind of targeted $200 price. I mean, it's basically a netbook. Minus yeah, well, maybe sure. the four gigabytes of storage. Like Yeah. That's where they saved money, I guess. Yeah. Well, if you're you just running Firefox, anything. you don't need it. If you're a netbook running Windows 7, I guess you do. But it's netbookish. It's low-end hardware. Hmm. Interesting. Well, once they got all that stuff jammed in the case into prototype B, um, they found that it was 1.3 inches thick, which Arrington insisted was far too thick. Mm-hmm. Um, but it weighed three pounds, which was around the same amount as kind of a 10 inch netbook at the time. So it wasn't extremely heavy relative to kind of what was around. However, it was twice as heavy <laughs> as what the original iPad would weigh when it uh, introduced a year later in 2010. Yeah. So, When's the last time you've picked up an original iPad? Oh, a long time, but I remember they're, they are not light. They feel ridiculous by today's standards. <laughs> uh, you know, prototype B, the industrial design left a lot to be desired, but again, it's a prototype, so I'm willing to forgive that. Sure. The big software news here is that it was running a customized version of Ubuntu with work on top of it being done by a company in Singapore named Fusion Garage. Spoilers. We're going to talk more about them in a minute. There's a lot going on with them. There sure is. (laughs) Okay, so a few months later, after Prototype B in April 2009, uh, there were new photos of an updated prototype that, quote, leaked end quote. Uh, the device's housing appeared to be much thinner, and it featured rounded edges. 
And Arrington goes on to the blog and says, hey, you know, these leaks are not intentional. We didn't do them. I'm a little skeptical. But in any case, took the opportunity to give a progress report on how the tablet was doing. So Gone was the uh, VIA processor, and it was replaced with the more ubiquitous Intel Atom CPU. Uh, also, a little unfortunately, some people thought at the time, uh, Gone was the Ubuntu install. Uh, and it was just replaced by a custom version of Linux developed in-house by Fusion Garage, that new partner, who had also reworked the industrial design as seen in these updated photos. And and I must say, you know, this new prototype looked a heck of a lot better than prototype B. Like it has a real case. It's got a, a screen that blends into the case. It's starting to look like a real product. And, and most importantly... And this is funny because now we don't ever think about it and it's actually dead. But unlike the iPhone, this tablet, it supported Flash. And that was allegedly a big deal back in 2008, 2009. A lot of web apps ran on Flash. Video ran on Flash. I remember during the iPad keynote, that great keynote where Jobs is sitting in that really expensive black chair and he's browsing the New York Times and he... he pauses for a second as you see the Flash logo show up because they very famously <laughs> did not support Flash and there's a chuckle from the crowd. But yeah, this definitely looks better. And in June 2009, so just two months later, the quote launch prototype was detailed. Hmm. So now the screen was flush with the case and the overall thickness had been reduced to 0.7 inches or about 18 millimeters. So a long way from where they were. Yeah you know, six months before this. The case was now aluminum. Uh, the leaked photos you talked about were plastic, and some of them were even um, different colors. Now it was aluminum, which was thinner and could be more sturdy, even if it was more expensive. I guess they felt the trade-off was worth it. There's also a demo video showing off this device, and it is... It's really interesting. So the home screen <laughs> is filled with circular icons, and they just launched websites. So it's basically like visual bookmarks, if you will. Yeah. Swiping to the right would open a full screen web browser. Swiping up would bring up controls, which included the virtual keyboard. So the keyboard wasn't there all the time virtually. You had to swipe to get it. Hmm. It is super weird looking. It's not anchored to the bottom of the screen. It's like floating with lots of space between the keys. But it has this cool feature that I think is actually, for a tablet that was supposed to just be about the web, pretty smart. So you could search for a word on the keyboard, and then there were various search software buttons. So you could type the word, you know, Hackintosh, and hit the wiki button, and it would load the Hackintosh Wikipedia article. I think that's clever. And you saw Apple talk about that with the iPhone of, hey, when you don't have hard plastic buttons... Buns are just software. They can just do whatever you want them to do. All right. And I think this is a pretty interesting use of that idea. I, I agree. And, and you know, okay, so the general navigation, it seems a little weird nowadays because we just, I, I think most tablets, Android tablets have been the same forever and now the iPad, we kind of recognize how multitasking should be done and how... Uh, how tablet navigation works mm -hmm. but this was kind of before that time and so it looks a little uh, unintuitive by today's standards but i think had that become the norm it wouldn't have been that outrageous the the problem really was well the performance <laughs> the performance in the demo looked uh 
Mm, not great. Mm-mm, that was uh, not good. The best part is is during the demo, the guy goes, "You can scroll just like you can on the iPhone." As the contents of the web page are like jittering and tearing by the frame. <laughs> yes, <laughs> page loading looked slow. Like you said, scrolling was really bad. This demo is terrible, by the way. It's like shot. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like a hotel room or something. It's really dark. It looks like it. It's yep. not good. Uh, and they said, oh, well, it's slow because we're connected to 3G. It's like, well, if you're going to do a demo for your product, do it on Wi-Fi. Like, what are you doing? Don't put it on 3G. Again, the whole video is janky, but that part just really killed me. It's like, oh, it's slow because of cellular. It's like, well, pay the eight bucks at the hotel and put it on the Wi-Fi, man. Like, just That's do it. Right. Show what it can do. Arrington closed this June update saying that there would be a press event held the next month to show off the final version and that would retail for less than 300. So they right. had missed the $200 price point, but still I think a, a low price, you know, at this point we're mid 2009 rumors of the iPad are definitely heating up and people are thinking the iPad's going to be really expensive yep. and, and the iPad ended up being 499, which is way cheaper than people thought it would be. Oh, people thought it was going to be like over a thousand dollars easy. Yeah, it was. I mean, I remember watching. I was like, "Holy smokes! I cannot believe they got it so cheap." So, even though they missed their price target, I still think it's admirable that they got it to three hundred dollars. Yeah, I think that's true. So, come July third, two thousand nine, things are kind of ramping up more and more. Um, an article in the San Francisco Business Times reports that Arrington's project um, it is really kind of going nearly full scale and that the company's talking to manufacturer manufacturing partners in China, um, but that it would be kind of late July or early August before additional news would be coming out um, of, of the company, which had actually then formally been named Crunchpad. So they they took the name that they they liked, and there you go. Now now we've got the Crunchpad, and uh, you know this thing isn't shipping yet, but it seems like they're lining that stuff up. They're getting things manufactured, and somewhat hilariously, I, I question what strings were pulled to get this to happen. In October two thousand nine, uh, the device was named one of the ten most brilliant products of two thousand nine by Popular Mechanics, but it it wasn't for sale yet. I don't even think they had a real manufacturing partner yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, hmm. Not a good look no. by Popular Mechanics. No. Oh, well. So you said in October it still hasn't shipped. No. You, see, you know, we see delays in products. I don't think many people were super concerned at this point. In November 2009, Arrington appears on a podcast called The Gilmore Gang, announcing that things were just moving right along. But just two weeks later, he has his blog post that's named End of the Crunch Pad. Oh. In this blog post, he says that he's had he has been blindsided by his partner Fusion Garage. Remember, they initially were just working on the UI on top of Ubuntu. Yeah. And they built the software stack, their own custom version of Linux. And then they took over the hardware design, too. And in this post, he says Fusion Garage basically told us uh, that we're no longer involved and that Fusion Garage would be building the tablet independently. This is where, I mean, again, lots of terrible things about this man that are very serious and very disgusting. But the annoyance of Michael Arrington is what kills me in this blog post. Mm -hmm. He likens it to Foxconn telling Apple, oh, Apple, you don't get to build the iPhone anymore. It's like, wait, are you comparing yourself (laughs) to the iPhone? Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, what are you doing? He yeah. then states that Fusion Garage didn't even get involved until the third hardware revision. Everything had been in-house at TechCrunch, which doesn't really line up with his previous blog post to begin with. No. I mean, he, he made it kind of from the outset seem like Fusion Garage was not only kind of originally responsible for the software and then for building a custom kind of version of, of Linux to run on the tablet and then creating the original design in plastic and then revising it to a, a hardware or, or to an aluminum design and then helping them find a manufacturing partner. I mean, it seems like uh, Fusion Garage, if not mostly heading the project, is a, is a really, really good partner. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there certainly is frustration in the sense that this company is now telling him, hey, um, this is our project now and and you're out of the project. And this was um, their original idea and they helped promote it and they had talked about it on their blog for kind of years leading up to this release. Uh, so, so kind of uh, sketchy. Um, Arrington also states in that blog post that he was forwarded an email uh, originally sent by one of Fusion Garage's shareholders that stated the following. Quote, we still acknowledge that Arrington and TechCrunch bring some value to your business <laughs> endeavor. If he agrees to our terms, we should have Arrington assume the role of the visionary evangelist marketing head and Fusion Garage would acquire the rights to use the Crunchpad brand and name. Uh, personally, I don't think that the name is all that important, but you seem to be somewhat attached to the name. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> dismissive. <laughs> yeah, so so he, Arrington claimed that they jointly owned the IP, TechCrunch owned the Crunchpad trademark. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stated that the device was a mere two weeks away from shipping the first thousand units and the production would ramp up in 2010. But instead, he would now be suing Fusion Garage and its CEO. Um, and he's not really sure what happened and is embarrassed by it. But he said that he trusted the legal system to work it out over time. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that uh, because a month after that article where he goes this is the end of the crunch pad fusion garage announces a tablet on their website that they called the juju um stating that it will release in 2010 for 499 dollars just like apple and we'll talk about the ju- <laughs> yeah we'll talk about the juju in the minute but basically um it's the crunch pad so errington does in fact sue fusion garage and neelai patel who was then of engadget breaks down kind of the major allegations that uh, Arrington and TechCrunch have against Fusion Garage. Uh, The first one is false advertising. So TechCrunch states that Fusion Garage uh, was lying about the origins of the Juju and that it hurts uh, consumers and TechCrunch itself. Uh, The thing is, though, uh, uh, does it? (laughs) Given that the tablet isn't actually shipping yet and Fusion Garage has removed all mentions of TechCrunch, uh, it, it kind of seems unlikely. And, and Patel says, who's a lawyer, by the way, usually you lead with your strongest point, And this is this is not it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they then claim um, a breach of fiduciary duty. Uh, if you can believe it, and this is bananas, TechCrunch never actually created nor signed a contract with Fusion Garage. Oh, <laughs> why? What are you <laughs> I know, doing? Right? I know. But they state that the clear public demonstrations of their mutual involvement implied the existence of a verbal contract and that Fusion Garage is acting in bad faith. Wow. You know, really good to have a contract, but there are instances um, 
where kind of implied or nonverbal contracts or, or, or verbal contracts, frankly, are, are binding. And we'll kind of find out later that this is actually somewhat helpful in TechCrunch's uh, argument. And then the last one is misappropriation of business ideals. And Patel just frankly mocks this argument because it's it's basically a stand-in for patent or copyright. And Arrington, in this uh, kind of uh, argument, says that the device was entirely of their idea and conception, um, that everything about the Crunchpad came from Arrington and came from Tuck Crunch, even down to using white as a background on web pages when browsing the web. Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you better get after Google. We're looking at a Google Doc in the background's white. <laughs> I know, right? Look out, Google. Really, these arguments just look pretty weak. And Fusion Garage quickly files to dismiss in February of 2010, two months later. Uh, they reject the notion that there was ever a partnership as no contract was ever signed and that they couldn't steal the idea of a tablet, which was neither novel to Arrington, um, and, and even if it were, was one that Arrington posted all over the internet. <laughs> it was a direct quote. And Fusion Garage disputed all of TechCrunch's claims, uh, in my opinion and the opinion of, of journalists and lawyers at the time, actually quite well. Um, but TechCrunch decides to continue pursuing, and they amend their complaint and send it up the ladder. At this point, TechCrunch gets pretty salty about everything and post a parody article and video about a DIY Crunchpad conversion kit. For 50 bucks, you can turn any laptop into a tablet that they called the F-U-J-J. I wonder what that could stand for. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, That's shoot. not very nice. This article is terrible. It really is. <laughs> There's racist overtones to it. It is just not a good look at all. Arrington just comes out looking like a like a jerk, like a sore loser. Yeah, and, and what's even more ironic is is at a later date, the courts even cite the article as a demonstration of bad faith on TechCrunch's part. In August 2010, Californian courts basically toss out the majority of Arrington's motions, stating that they're, you know, they don't hold water. But they do retain the idea that the two companies were, in fact, partners and were expected to protect each other's interests, um, citing breach of fiduciary duty on Fusion Garage's point. At this point, one would wonder why continue pursuing this lawsuit? I mean, obviously, lawsuits are very expensive. Pain litigation is incredibly pricey. And basically, I mean, what were the damages? <laughs> to TechCrunch, n nothing had really shipped yet. And had Juju become a massive success, that would have changed the story. But let's talk about the Juju because, well, uh, it wasn't a massive success. <laughs> no. You said it perfectly. It's the crunch pad. The main home screen is a bunch of web pages. The navigation is shockingly similar to what we had seen from the crunch pad prototypes. I mean, aesthetically, it was different, but at the heart of it, it is, it's the same device. Um, yeah. Engadget's initial hands-on was positive of it. Uh, they recognized that it wasn't a perfect experience, but for $4.99, it was well-built. Well and of course, it had... Microsoft Silverlight and Adobe Flash support. So if you needed a tablet that had those things, this was seemed, at least at initial blush, like a, a pretty decent option. Yeah, one I, I, has to wonder. I mean, I didn't see... I couldn't really find a good video of the original Juju online. Um, there was one, but it, it wasn't great. But it, it's such a contrast because, you know, we looked at the the prototype from, what, you know, 
six months, eight months prior, and it was incredibly laggy, and the user interface was glitchy, and it's just bizarre. And Engadget is is speaks extremely highly to the point where it almost sounds good. They're like, you know, it's it's still young and it's not fully baked, but this is not a bad tablet for $500. So uh, either people's perceptions and expectations were far different back then, which is certainly part of it. But I also think that, that you know, Fusion Garage actually did quite a bit of work to the software side and got it to the point where it was relatively stable and enjoyable to use. A little thing happens in tablet land in January 2010. What was it? The iPad? Uh, never heard of Anyways, it. Anyways, it really is hard to overstate how excellent the iPad was at launch in a world of pretty awful <laughs> tablets and especially <laughs> netbooks, which yeah. Steve Jobs, if you go back and watch that keynote, calls out netbooks specifically as being terrible. Yep. Anyways, so, so Juju pre-orders went up in February 2010. They said it was in January when the iPad was announced. It's very confusing when it actually happened. Same price as the iPad, $499. Uh, Fusion Garage said they that the pre-orders were exceeding expectations and raised another $10 million in funding. Oh, that's good. Here's the thing. This court case is still going on at this point. Fusion Garage motioned to dismiss the court case. One of their arguments was exactly what you said. The damages were basically non-existent and that they only had sold 90 pre-orders. <laughs> I love this. This is like the ultimate showing of hands, right? Because they have this thing, they're telling the public, yeah, yeah, it's really great. The courts find that, in fact, you know, Fusion Garage is a partner with TechCrunch and that they can be liable for damages. So they, in their own court case, as an argument for not having to pay anything to TechCrunch, say, we've only sold 90 (laughs) (laughs) pre-orders. Yeah, I mean, the iPad was, I think, single-handedly, the reason this thing failed. Now, there were a bunch of other issues, right? But up until the release of the iPad for the same price, it actually sounded pretty compelling, but it is, it cannot be understated how incredibly powerful and polished the iPad was and how it was at an unprecedentedly low price. I mean, almost nobody expected $500 to be the price of iPad. It was a bargain. The Juju ended up shipping in April, 2010, uh, the same week the iPad started shipping. Just going, just going for it. Engadget <laughs> had spoken highly of the pre-release version they had seen, but clearly something had changed at this point. Obviously, the perception of tablets had changed because we had seen the iPad. In that comparison, the Juju was less portable, had a worse screen, even if it was bigger, unintuitive UI, and half-baked software. Uh, they They commended the price and the hardware design, but they couldn't recommend it because of the software. And so this is really a a story in which the world around this product changed and it made this product look much worse. Yeah. Here's another thing that's important to remember because it's something that I always forget about in, in my brain. So the iPhone launches in 2007 without an app store. Right. And, and Jobs says, you know, we're focusing on web apps and web apps are kind of what are going to happen on the iPhone and you know you can believe who you will whether or not they just they were planning on an app store and it wasn't just ready yet or if they actually shifted their focus once they decided they wanted native apps but regardless the app store launches in 2008 and by 2010 when iPad launches the app store on the iPhone is incredibly healthy Um, and this new tablet for $500 
is a heck of a deal. And so they have a lot of apps that were made for iPhone that are transitioning to a kind of a tablet variant um, available in the App Store. And Juju is just a, a web browser for the same price and, and frankly, not a very good one. Um, so the Fusion Garage CEO leans into where they feel their competitive advantages. And that's that, well, the iPad merely offers a stripped down version of the web because it has no flash. But our tablet is incredibly powerful and shows you the, the full web um, in all of its glory while conveniently ignoring the reality that the massively successful App Store exists and that there are by the day, hundreds of new iPad apps releasing onto the market. Juju's kind of doomed. And mm -hmm. surprise, surprise, by the end of the year, by the end of 2010, the Juju is officially discontinued. Now, one might believe that this is the end of Fusion Garage, um, but nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the company says that they're not dead and that they have a new project in the pipeline. And of course, this began rumors of a new tablet Juju 2. That's right. Uh, by mid to late 2011, this rumor's kind of in full force, although a company named Tabco is associated with it. And it, it turns out that Tabco is just like a marketing smokescreen, and it is Fusion Garage just <laughs> there standing <laughs> behind the smokescreen. Instead of the underdeveloped software that powered the first Juju, Fusion Garage decided to go with Android for its sequel, and it would be ARM-based, and this would allow it to be smaller and lighter and potentially tap into what made the iPad so great that you just explained so well a second ago is apps, that people wanted apps on these things, not just the web. And so kind of in this mindset, born into the world is Grid OS. It's the software by Fusion Garage. It's a custom version of Android with a super bonkers user interface. It's like <laughs> this series of grids, and you could bundle apps and web shortcuts in these different sections, but it was basically an infinite canvas. And so you could like scroll to the left a bunch and have all your meeting apps and scroll up and have all your photo apps kind of laid out in this scene and you're kind of panning around it on the home screen. Very, very strange. And it is, uh, it, it is weird. They called these little kind of groupings clusters and the whole thing. It's was a cluster. Powered. All right. Hey, <laughs> the, Hey, you know what, Steven? Here, here's the thing. I, and maybe this is just dumb teenage Quinn thinking here. And, and you as a much older, more sophisticated gentleman saw this at the time and was like, this is stupid. But I, for one, and I feel the sentiment of many was actually of excitement because it's hard to understate how tablet crazy the world was. I mean, the iPad just set this kind of uh, waterfall effect through the entire industry where everyone was making a tablet and the majority of them. Uh, were garbage. The Android tablets were not good. Android apps didn't lend themselves in, in terms of optimization very well relative to, to the iPad. The user interface of early versions of Android were just spanned, and so they didn't look intentional. They looked like just a, a really big, weird, awkward smartphone. Um, and, and frankly, the iPad itself was criticized for that, that it was just a scaled-up iPhone. And so when I saw the Fusion Garage Grid 10 and Grid OS, I was actually excited because it did look like an intentionally designed operating system. 
for an intentional form factor, even though I look at it now and go, this is ridiculous. Why would, any- <laughs> <laughs> Why would anyone want this? I see what you're saying. So yeah, the tablet was called the Grid 10, and there's also going to be the Grid 4 smartphone. Oh, yes. You had this home screen situation. It had notification support. Uh, they, those all went into a section that was called the heartbeat screen, uh, which also managed running apps. Sort of a weird name. Yeah. Um, my favorite feature of this, though, is that you could sign your name on the tablet screen with your finger and it would unlock. <laughs> I don't know about you, uh, but my signature is not always the same. No. And like, I don't know if I want <laughs> to rely on that to unlock a tablet. No. In fact, um, in his kind of initial preview, Nilay Patel of, uh, at this point, it was the transitionary phase. They had left Engadget and had this website with Josh Tobolsky called This Is My Next. And there's a video on This Is My Next on YouTube still uh, where Nilay goes, yeah, you know, you can sign on with your name, but I've found that my success rate is is really, really low, significantly lower than 50%. And so I just draw a line straight across like the iPad. <laughs> yeah so the grid 10 tablet showed up in late 2011 again patel called it among the worst screens he's ever used in the video as soon as it's off axis it's totally gone powered by a one gigahertz nvidia tegra 2 the device felt slow despite that Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean the tegra 2 was no slouch in 2011 no it was a good it was a good chip i don't know how you make it something feel slow on top of it uh front-facing camera headphone jack Micro SD slot for storage expansion, micro SIM slot for cellular, uh, stereo speakers. Unfortunately, they were placed right where your hands wanted to be, so that it just sounded mm-hmm. muffled all the time. And yeah. it had its own special proprietary power plug and cost $299. Yeah, I'd say that's kind of where they maybe got something right, is at this point, everyone in the $500 uh, kind of price point knew that they were going to lose to the iPad, except for Samsung. It took Samsung... Well, Samsung still hasn't figured that out, basically. But almost everyone else was like, okay, if you're going to beat the iPad, you got to be cheaper. And $200 less is a, is a fairly significant amount. Yeah. Um, and and should, you know, this thing release onto the market, it could do relatively well. And and you know what? The, their initial hands-on from, um, from Nilay Patel and from Dieter Bone are both actually fairly positive. You know, they say, this is new. This is c- kind of weird. But and the UI is relatively slow, but it's not it's not horrible. And that, you know, in and of itself was was praise against the tablet that kind of reigned above all the iPad. But they're not just going to build a tablet and be happy with it, of course, because they've got this fancy OS that they want to put on other devices, too. So as you mentioned earlier, they they also announced a grid for smartphone. Um, this was going to be a four inch 800 by 480 resolution smartphone with a dual core processor and of course grid OS rocking 512 megabytes of RAM, a front facing camera and a five megapixel rear camera with LED flash with 720p video recording. And that device would cost 399 unlocked uh, with 16 gigs of storage, um, which also, you know, at the time, it's kind of hard to remember, but at least here in the U.S., the iPhone um, at this point, right, 2011 was still. No, it's we're iPhone four, iPhone four S time by now. Yeah, yeah. So it was available on other carriers. Yeah, but most carriers would charge 
$199 or $299 to buy the iPhone and then you'd be locked into a two-year contract. So this phone came unlocked um, with relatively respectable specifications. But again, in the prototypes and in the demos, this phone lagged. Oh, Mm-hmm. like really really badly way worse than your average android smartphone which also at the time were not very good <laughs> um and we should say that this phone and this tablet would run android apps from the amazon app store oh right no google so they, services. they had that going for them mm-hmm. too no google services but you could do other stuff we don't really know how the phone was in practice because yeah, it never existed <laughs> by December 2011, it seemed that the that Fusion Garage was effectively out of business. Yeah, they had promised to ship the Grid 10 in October. Very few made it out the door. I, I tried looking for some like around the internet. It seems like there's only a handful in the world. Maybe yeah, I couldn't find one. There was this promise that if you had bought a Juju, you get a free Grid 10. That didn't happen for those 90 people. <laughs> As far as we can tell, the Grid 4 never shipped, so it just never made it out of whatever prototype review unit had floated around. Yeah, I've, I've never seen one of those in the in the wild. I do remember seeing a, a Grid 10 tablet on eBay a few years ago, and I didn't buy it, and I regret it immensely now because I... I don't think one has been listed in a very long time. Yeah. I mean, we did we did an episode last year about the Axiotron modbook. Didn't we do an episode about that? You did a video about it. That was my video. Okay. So I did a video about that. And those are also extremely hard to come by. But you'll see one or two of those listed a year, maybe. And uh, this one... No, I mean, you, you don't find Fusion Garage devices online. You don't even find the Juju, which by comparison, I think probably shipped more than anything. So much about the story is ridiculous, like no contracts, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. it, it feeds into so much what we talk about on this show, where a lot of these markets, basically their level ground is to be a duopoly. Yeah. You have iOS and Android and everything else is gone. <laughs> the added bonus, though, is that this Android tablet at the very end, or like tablets in general, there's just not a lot of successful ones in the wake of the iPad. The tablet market basically is just the iPad. Not to say there aren't others, but there aren't others that really matter or sell in big numbers. And the Juju in particular, but the Grid 10 later, I think kind of point the way to that. and and Or maybe early examples of showing how Apple is just going to dominate this market. Yeah, it, it is. It really is interesting. I mean, I I was at um, had to run into snag a thing at Best Buy the other day, and the curbside delivery was not working. That's cool. So I had to run into the store, and as I was running to pick up my thing, I I noticed, and it kind of caught my eye. The um, semi new. I mean, it's been out for a little while. The Samsung Galaxy Tab S seven. Mm-hmm. That's a very expensive tablet. It's it's seven hundred thirty dollars. So it's around the same pricing as as iPad Pro and you and you go over to it and the build quality is exceptional the display is oh my goodness the display is beautiful um the aspect ratio is stupid it's a 16 by 9 tablet I, no. I think but um yeah but it's got high refresh rate it's got a stylus you know everything looks good and then you you open up the software and you're like oh this is just a bag of hurt and it it really is it's weird because you're right. You do kind of have this duopoly, certainly in the smartphone market, but in the tablet market, you kind of practically just have the iPad. I mean, there's really 
no competitor that even is remotely competitive. <laughs> um, and it is, it's one area where, where Apple just completely ran away with it. And it's not that, you know, tablets are die, have died or that people don't want them. People do. They just, they only want the iPad. Mm-hmm. The iPad is so good that I can't blame anyone for not really trying to compete or spending a bunch of money to try and compete because I don't know how anyone would win, especially now. It's too late. It's over. Totally over. I don't really see anyone getting into this market in a way that Apple has. I mean, look, if Samsung can't do it, I don't know who can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Motorola. Mm. The Atrix, the Atrix 4G. <laughs> you plug your phone into the tablet and you're set. <laughs> so that that is the crunch pad and the Juju and the Grid 10 and the Grid 4. You probably heard about these products and maybe confused about the relationship between them. And that's fair because it's confusing, but what a story. Yeah, I guess the moral of the story is um, have contracts. And if, uh, if you run a tech blog, don't make a piece of hardware. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I'm canceling the 5 pixels laptop. It's, it's done. Uh, I mean, you, I don't know these new MacBooks. You might be able to compete with MacBook. They're not that good. Mm. The M1, eh. Eh. Washed up. Throw in an, throw in an Intel Atom, uh, put it in a two-inch case, and you're set. <laughs> They'll sell by the million. That's all right. If you want to learn more about the Crunchpad and its sad, sad story, we have a bunch of links in the show notes. You can find them on the web at relay.fm slash flashback slash 13. Quinn, if people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? Uh, don't. Just kidding. You can find me on Twitter at SnazzyQ, uh, as well as Instagram and all the other social media websites. And then you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash snazzy. You can find my writing at 512pixels.net, and I'm ISMH on Twitter and Twitch. And until our next episode, Quinn, say goodbye. See you later. Bye, y'all.